Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Azaface, and today myself and Martin Keown discuss Mikel Arteta escaping punishment after his post-match comments after Arsenal's defeat to Newcastle were deemed OK. Has common sense prevailed? Meanwhile, history will be made as Rebecca Welsh will become the first woman to referee a Premier League match over the Christmas period. How much of a positive step for representation in the game? And Martin Keown tells us what to look out for as Liverpool hosts Manchester United in the big match of the weekend. It's Outspoken with White and Jordan. Let's to get to this judgment on Mikel Arteta because we received yesterday the written reasons behind the, why Mikel Arteta was not punished by an independent commission after the FA charged him with bringing the game into disrepute. Now, this all centred on his comments that he made after the Newcastle game uh, in the beginning of November in which he was upset about a decision that went against his team and this is what he said. Yeah, we have to talk about the result because we have to talk about how the hell this goal um, stand up and it's incredible. I feel embarrassed, but I have to be the one now coming here to try to defend the club and please ask for help because it's an absolute disgrace that this goal is allowed. It's an absolute disgrace. Why? Because it's not a goal. For many reasons, it's not a goal. For more than one reason, at least, it's not a goal. And it's too much at stake here. We put so much effort. It's so difficult to compete at this level. And it's an absolute disgrace. Again, I feel embarrassed. I've been more than 20 years in this country. And this is nowhere near the level to describe this as the best league in the world. I am sorry. Uh, so quite inflammatory. It sounded as sort of like rather passionate comments from uh, the manager after the game. Um, when it was reviewed, the decision, it was Anthony Gordon's goal. There was what was deemed to be a push by Joel Linton. The rep- Arteta thought there was a push by Joel Linton at the back post. When it was reviewed by the VAR independent panel, which is the, the decision-making panel every week where they go back, look at the VAR decisions and determine whether or not that the, 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 they've been implemented in the right way, the protocols and the rules, etc. Actually, the panel decided that that goal was right to be given. I don't agree with that. But, but the panel agreed. Just a minute, just a minute. I do not agree with that, okay? So if I was on that panel, I wouldn't have agreed. But you weren't. Joe Linton makes a foul on Gabrielle. Okay, okay. end of. Okay, and, and, and there was a couple of people it's on that opinion. panel it's who, opinion. Who, who, who thought, Subjective who agreed opinion. with your opinion, and there were 
other people on the panel that didn't, and overall, the majority was that that decision yes. was correct. Okay. But I don't think that panel really represents a, a, a true and honest representation of what the public feel. It's split 50-50, and you're saying two people out of 12 said it was definitely five. a goal. Okay. Three, two. It well, was. Okay. And at three, two for one of the decisions. There's three separate incidents because the ball goes in or out of play, no one knows. That was a unanimous decision that the referee and the uh, uh, VAR did the right thing there by continuing because there's no clear evidence. Howard to Webb said it, it looks like it could be out. It, it probably is out, but it wasn't given. But there's yeah. no clear obvious. No, uh, but um, there we are. Because uh, we're using technology that. that is not fit for okay, purpose. But we're arguing okay. about the decision, no, which okay. has already been Correct. sort of looked and over. There, there's a lot of passion involved, it a is. lot of emotion. And, got it. and Arteta, Arteta? Arteta had that emotion. He did. And he explains that. He did. In his and, argument. And, and, and he's been let off, and this is why. You're not happy about that. I am happy about it. I think it's absolutely the right decision. Okay. You've got that completely wrong. You've anticipated and assumed that I was unhappy about it when I wasn't. So why are you happy with it? I'm fine because if you read the report, and I spent last night reading 37 pages of the report. You think you're alone in that? Including the footnotes. I read them this morning. Well, you didn't read the footnotes, did you? Because you got confused when I was talking to you about it just a minute ago. No. You did? No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read the you page didn't read six. That bit. Yes, you didn't know. Uh, but basically, he got off because his KC successfully argued that the words he used in his rant did not breach the threshold of language to be deemed either personally offensive, implicate bias question the integrity or say anything insulting or abusive. And the FA had to accept this mm -hmm. because of precedence in cases with Jose Mourinho, Neymar and Frank Lampard that they'd previously bought, both cited in this case, uh, that criticism of and discussion of match-changing decisions must be allowed as long it was within certain limits. And I think it was. And the reason they took this into consideration was because just a month before this incident, the Premier League themselves had put their hands up and acknowledged that they too believe that there were flaws and weaknesses in the VR processes. And the way that Arteta spoke, he didn't pick out any individuals. He concentrated on the processes. He didn't speak about an individual, uh, individual decision. He talked about outcomes. He doesn't mention any official. It wasn't deemed personal. So that's why he didn't breach a rule. But morally, was it the right decision? Well, I think you're slightly misguided there a little bit because <laughs> because I believe that it was it was all the co around the connotation of the meaning of the word disgracia. So disgracia in in Spanish means something different to what it means in English. In English, it's a disrespectful word to use. Okay, and it's very damning. Is it? But but in Spain, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. What it, the two What are the two definitions then? Well, let's just look through then. Connotations in Spanish. So language doesn't... It, it's a misfortune. It's a tragedy. It's it's bad luck. Okay. But but in an English connotation, it's like it's much more damning. It's uh, it's contempt. It's uh, dishonourable. It's disrespectful. Mm. So I think actually it, it, they feel that it was lost in, in translation and that he used that... You know, he didn't quite know the meaning of the word he was using. But that's not true. Because at the bottom of page six, which you didn't read... Yes, it I know says what you're going to say. This Mikel Arteta. There was a miscommunication between Arteta and the manager and, and the club. So, but that's because when he went to the panel, he actually said to the panel that he was not suggesting when he used the word disgrace in the interviews that he had in fact been intending to use the word disgracia or at least use a word which carried with it connotations of misfortune, tragedy, or bad luck, rather than the connotations of abuse or insult. He actually explained he had intended to use the English word disgrace. He had complete knowledge of the English word disgrace and that any suggestion to the contrary so you're saying in the letter was 
a result of miscommunication between him and Arsenal, who prepared the letter. So actually, and the there, initial and there, letter... And maybe there lies the problem, there, no? It, miscommunication? Not at all. What the, the whole thing is just... This whole disgrace thing is irrelevant. It's nothing to do with that. It's to do with the fact that the independent panel looked at his words and thought that he didn't stray over the line, the threshold, to be abusive. And I think they're right. Right, so it's got nothing to do with what language it is. It's got to do with the fact. Well, it that does. He they used... do refer to the language, don't they? They do refer to the language. They don't refer Discratia, to that word. Discretion word is re- is used in the argument. Yes, it is. It's used by the club, and basically, what all they've done in the report is is explain that actually that wasn't part of their thinking. What was part of their thinking was the issue that he hadn't intentionally had to go at one individual person. So, do you think he is right to be able to say and go as far as he did? Look, I, I just feel that it would be lovely if we could just draw a, a line under all this, you know. So I, my well, argue, do you think it's my, right that he's a, he's allowed to talk like well, that? Well, I think that what he's tried to do, he has obviously put spent considerable time behind the scenes working with VAR, with working with uh, match officials. Yeah, it's one of the try, things they recognise. To try to report, to, to try to improve, and so they've looked at that. They've looked at that good character. They did try to argue, didn't they, that uh, as a role model, and it resonates across the world, that maybe he should be charged because, you know, this is such a huge figure within the game. Yeah. And then they decided, well, actually, it doesn't really matter, does it? You know, is he is he guilty or not? Forget the size of the character and the, and the personality and how much he transcends around the world. Um, so I think they've fallen on the right side. I think, yes, I think I can see disgrace means something different in Spanish. And I understand that argument. I know that you're trying to pick a hole now through that and try to create... Uh, no, I'm just uh, saying that's irrelevant. You're trying to say that Arsenal actually said one thing and, and Arteta is saying the other. Yeah, but but nonetheless, nonetheless let's hope we can just get on with the football now. Hopefully VAR improves. Hopefully the You might want to move arrives. on to the football, but what we need to address is whether or not this is okay to do. I think it's borderline. I think it's absolutely borderline when you're using those types of words. But I do understand... That uh, with the translation and what it might mean, a different connotation, a different language. I'm under, I understand that. Uh, he was hit up. One of the reasons he was hit up because Joe Willock, apparently former Arsenal player, who was part of the the build up to the goal, turned around and told players as they were walking off the pitch, "Yeah, it was out of play." So he he had heightened emotion. He thinks it was out of play. Yeah, we're told we don't really know whether it was out of play. Yeah, but he was the, the closest to it, the ball. wasn't he? He was, but he might be wrong. He might be. He might be wrong. That's the, another I don't know reason if it why helps. I, I don't know if it helps. It maybe it helped his argument on the day. Mm. Um, we don't know, do we? If he actually said that. But one of the key key, key things here going forward is 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 whether or not you accept that it's okay for a manager to come out and criticise a process like VAR in the aftermath of a game. Now, my my view for what it's worth is is I think it's absolutely fine for someone to come out and criticise the processes behind a. Uh, a system like VAR, for example, bearing in mind the number of problems that we've had with it, as long as they're not personal or insulting or damaging the reputation of the referee. Because open communication is really, really important. Talking about it, highlighting the issues, actually sharpens the focus of everybody, doesn't it? Well, of course it does. I mean, we're we're now talking about the protocol now that happens in the VAR room. So the, the, the language, you know, how we restrict what we say, who speaks and when, clear, clear communication. All of these things are about to change, all of it because of what we've been subjected to so far. Yeah. I, I felt that, um, you know, watching that game and looks, doesn't it, to the to the eye as if the ball's out of play. But we'd, to not have the technology is really kind of, it's scary, really. 
And I just feel now next year, this technology, I'm told now there's going to be these sensors in the ball. Mm. You know, it's incredible what the, the te technology that's going to arrive. And then a lot of these issues, they won't completely go away, but a lot of them will go away. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. History will be made in the Premier League over Christmas. Uh, Rebecca Welsh uh, will become the first female referee in the top flight. She'll officiate Fulham's match against Burnley on December the 23rd. The 40-year-old began refereeing in 2010 and in January became the first woman to uh, referee a men's championship uh, game. Um, she's also taking charge of women's Super League games. She's been very well thought of in the women's game for a very long time. Uh, FA Cup finals, she's done the Champions League matches. She's refereed at the Women's World Cup in Australia and in New Zealand in the summer. Uh, um, she made uh, history already this season once when she took uh, a charge as a fourth official in a Premier League match between Manchester United and Fulham at Craven Cottage. Um, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, I mean, there'll be a lot of discussion about uh, why it's taken so long. I know that Sam Allenson is uh, taking charge of a top-flight match in December as well, making him the Premier League's first black manager, uh, a black uh, referee for 15 years. He'll oversee Sheffield United's match against Luton on Boxing Day. Um, but um, Well, that's fantastic as well. well I, met, I met Sam, actually, did you? at Alfreton Town um, last week, uh, weekend before last. Uh, what a fantastic guy. I think he's, he's, he's well-placed. He's many years now, isn't he, in the making? Yeah. So uh, twelve I think years he's been refereeing. Yeah, I think for. it's. Uh, it was a Swindon youth class. team player, wasn't he? Yeah. So I think he's. He just seems to me he's got a nice way with him. Uh, if I was still playing, I'd be happy to to work with him. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a big, huge success. That's a really good initiative to get him in there. Well, I'm actually pleased that we're getting more referees from different backgrounds, but also more referees as. It, as it stands, just an extra couple of bodies into the pool because one of the things that's been a little bit of a complaint over the last few years is that they've had to almost double shift at times. So one sat on a Saturday, they'll be refereeing a game on the pitch and then the referees are going and ended up as VARs the next day and there's lots of travelling yeah, sometimes involved in that. But to taking sort of from a wider pool, getting people in, we have to make the job more attractive and accessible to people from all backgrounds and cultures. 100%. 100%. And I think Sam is a good uh, candidate, isn't he? Uh, he's, he's an ambassador now as a, as a fireman. He's, had a, he's been uh, in that industry for many years. Uh, he'd be putting fires out maybe in this one. But I think he's well able to do with it. I think it's, I, I think I, I emphasise a lot on the personality. When you meet someone, you think, okay, this guy. It was a difficult situation actually. The game was called off, wasn't it, with Alfreton Town? Mm. Only about ten minutes before the game. No, and the off. Warsaw manager was making a lot of noise, and he was trying to handle that. It was a difficult situation for him, but all of that's good experience. So, you know, it's a shame he wasn't able to um, to officiate on that occasion with the cameras being there and everyone else. Um, but nonetheless, this is a massive opportunity for him, as it is for Rebecca. So it's uh, it's right and proper that we see that happening. And good news for the Football Association as well, and for Howard, where we suggested in the summer that he wanted to make sure that he could increase the pool of, of referees and uh, try and increase the representation of under-represented uh, uh, ethnic groups and get a female referee involved too. Uh, in July, the Football Association laid out plans to recruit 50% more referees from historically under-represented backgrounds by 2026, targeting an increase of a thousand women referees and a thousand black or Asian referees at all levels of football in three years. Currently, just eight percent of officials are of black or Asian ethnicity, but only three percent in professional football. Um, it is difficult to attract referees from anywhere. <laughs> from from underrepresented yeah. groups, it's even harder. How do you make it more attractive? Do you think? Goodness, uh, with with support. I think you've got to support the... I'm, I'm hoping that these guys now get, you know, uh, Rebecca as well, gets the support she needs going into those games. Um, I think it is... I mean, it's interesting because the game was called off 
um, at that particular game, Alfredton Town, and I would have liked to have seen maybe a more senior figure there on the day from the FA to sort of work that through. It was always going to be a frosty game, always a game, you know, a game where there's live on telly. There were some decisions to make, and you suddenly realise that referees are quite isolated in those situations. So I think support's really important. I think Howard Webb, though, is, is, is doing the right thing, trying to get new people in there. It's how they perform under pressure, you know, how they make the big calls. And that's, we don't know that until we actually put them in there. So, yeah, I think they should, they should be confident in what they do. They can make decisions in a, in a game of football at any level, with the championships they're in at, at the moment. So there's no problem why they can't make the next step. Um, we've seen, obviously, a female referee now take charge of a Premier League game. Well, we will see a female referee take charge of a Premier League game. Um, if we've got a female... Premier League referee. How long do you think before we have a Premier League manager? Who's a Goodness female? me, that's a. Well, we talked didn't we before about um, Beekman, the, um, the the ladies' manager. We hear a lot of people saying that she should go automatically. Yeah, to go in to do. Uh, I think you need to manage in in the football game, don't you? First, um, but I think it will happen in the future. But you'd like to see you know women in at a lower level. Didn't we have one last season for a little while? No, uh, no, we didn't. Well, there was a, that was a publicity start, wasn't it? Because Hannah Dingley got given the uh, the opportunity to manage Forest Green, and after one friendly, she was replaced by somebody else. Well, we, we, so we saw kind of the beginnings of something happening there. So I think it has to come from an idea. Then you have to, you know, prove that you're good enough to do that. Can you transfer those skills from the, the women's game to the men's game? I think yes, you can. I think maybe the game is a little bit quicker, uh, slightly different. But nonetheless, tactically, it's got to be exactly the same. So I think in time, we'll see women going across and doing that and managing in the football, in the, in the men's football. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a lot that's been made about Emma Hayes. She's going off to the United States now, so uh, she'll be managing the US women's national team for, for a while. Probably won't be able to take a job in the uh, in any of the divisions in, in England for a while. Uh, but uh, Serena Veeman's an interesting one, isn't it? Because uh, she's done incredibly well. She's been uh, rewarded by FIFA and by... Uh, other award ceremonies has recognised one of the best coaches in the world. Be interesting to see what she does if indeed she ever does give up the job as the England uh, national team gaffer. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Martin's in agitated mood today. Uh, after uh, spending his first hour trying to start on me, he's now just trying to rip apart the producer. Outrageous. 
Well, the thing is, Joe is actually a budding referee. Isn't he's not a budding so referee. We, we, he's, he's a fully we, paid up, qualified, yeah. well paid, semi professional referee. Which is why I think we've had three topics on referees today. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> oh, is it one, Joe? <laughs> Feels like three. Well, actually, there was a couple of others that we sort of skirted past. Well, that we was you, want, not yeah, me. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to get into refereeing too much. I mean, he, he does love that law book, doesn't he? Uh, almost as much as I do. Uh, right, OK, let's, uh, let, let's listen. And Joe, actually, you know, good referee, has been uh, sitting in between Michael Fassbender and Taika Watiti, the Oscar-winning director and the two-time Oscar-nominated actor, uh, because um, the premiere of Next Goal Wins was the other night. He went along, and uh, it's it's a film, actually, that's based on a 2014 documentary of the same name about a Dutch-American coach, Thomas Rongen, and his efforts to lead the American Samoa national football team, considered one of the weakest teams in the entire world, to qualification for the 2014 World Cup. Here they are, talking to Joe. Taika... And Michael, welcome to TalkSport. Welcome to London. You. You've been here for a few days. Yes. Thank you for joining us here at TalkSport. Um, we're here to talk about your movie, Next Goal Wins. Taika, okay. can you set the scene? What is the film all about? So the film is, uh, tells the true story of the American Samoan football team who famously lost, uh, and they still hold the record for the biggest loss in history and in international. They lost to Australia in 2001, um, and the score was 31-0. Mm. And it's about them... Uh, recruiting a new coach um, who's played by Michael to my left and uh, he comes into the islands and you know tries to turn them around he gets turned around and has his life improved a bit in, you know, in, in that relationship and it's about what happens next how much had you heard about this story Michael uh, before Tyker approached you to play the part uh, I didn't know the story um, until I watched the uh, documentary, and then I remembered. You know, I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that that score line against Australia," um, but you know, wasn't aware of the story at all, um, really. And uh, I was just really captivated and inspired by the American Samoan people. Their their sort of positivity, you know, their warmth and the thing that struck struck me most was their acceptance yeah. and you play Thomas Rongen obviously the coach um, did you meet him at all during the process did you get anything out of him I didn't I asked um, not to meet him because my, <laughs> my version of him is it's quite an extreme version you know it's not the real Thomas Rongen you know the, the guy I play is a lot more cantankerous but and broken Tom, and Thomas Rongen in real, I mean, he's a larger than life character I, t- I said to Thomas early, very early on this is what I was going to do and make him a little bit more lost and broken in the beginning of the film and um, and, and that, he, he was fine with that he understands and I actually met him for the first time at the premiere of the film in Toronto and what did he think? I uh, didn't like him Actually, he's, I loved him. He's a fantastic guy. He's absolutely yeah, sweetheart. I'm, I'm going to meet him now, actually, because he's yeah. sort of reached out, and, um, and we're definitely going to meet up. And this film's more about the, the story behind the characters and about hope and about coming through adversity. What is it about sport that allows it to be the vehicle for that? Well, sport um, demonstrates human perseverance and determination, and what's beautiful about sport is it brings people together, not only just for a team, but also spectators. Um, live sport, there's nothing like it. And also the drama of sport. When you watch sport, the drama unfolding before you, it's true theatre. And I think, especially when you see people get injuries or when you see them go through big losses or real down times, and we all look for inspiration in life and just to see players or teams 
build themselves back up and, and go on to bigger and better things. Um, there's nothing really like that. Obviously, a big part of this was about representation for you, right? And a lot of the actors were Polynesian. Um, how important was it for you to demonstrate that in this film? Well, you, you know, nowadays, uh, more than ever, we need to be more authentic in the telling of our stories and, uh, and hire the right people. Putting stories in the hands of the people who, it, who it's about is the most important thing. Um, yeah, we also have one of the star players for the original team, Jaya, who um, is uh, the first uh, out, uh, openly out trans player um, to play football in, uh, in a FIFA-sanctioned uh, tournament. She uh, is a big part of that original team and in the documentary, and we had someone playing her who was also um, out trans, Fafafine from the islands, and could play soccer and act. So uh, that's a, it's very hard to find someone who can tick all those boxes. She did a great job. Yeah, Kaimana was like really uh, an amazing find, really, in terms of casting. She didn't even want to go to the casting, right? She just went in and... People just pressured her. Pressured her yeah. to go in, yeah. And she was phenomenal, you know, just fantastic. So trans sport is quite a big topic of conversation at the moment. Yep. You obviously wrapped this a few years back, but how much was the discourse around that playing on your mind, if at all, while shooting the film? I try not to have any of it playing on my mind. The, the thing that was most important to me was that we were doing it, and you know, the conversation around that particular part of island culture uh, with um, Fafafine and then also on top of that, the, you know, the trans players, it's just not really a conversation. We've been very accepting of uh, yeah, people wanting to do things, whatever they want with their bodies but the main thing was to show people how accepted it was and how beautiful that part of the culture is and and also not to make a big make it the main focus of the film the focus of the film is the team and the people and uh, and thomas and jaya um and we just didn't i think in other hands and more of a hollywood uh hollywood hands there'd be a big speech about equality in the film which is not necessary in this film michael just want to touch on uh your team liverpool Yes. Have you been keeping across their season so far? What are your hopes for this season? Um, you know, it's going to be tough. I think Man City are so strong. But, uh, you know, I'm not like an avid football fan. I mean, I, I've always supported Liverpool. Um, you know, they're, they're playing great. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, Man City is just so good. When they're they really turn a, it on. They're in, a, they're in a transitional period at the moment. Is what I've heard people say when they talk about their teams. That was last year. Okay. Am I right in saying Rita is an Arsenal fan? Do you do you ever get taken along to the Emirates? I, I don't know Washington? if you're right in saying that. Actually, I don't know. I don't know what she is. <laughs> I heard Chelsea, but then I don't know. Uh-huh. I'm a Man United fan. Are you? I just like the colours. Yeah, yeah. And I like David George Beckham Best and George Best, and um, I like that documentary. But um, and Arsenal, my friend gave me some Arsenal mm. kit. So I also love Arsenal. Um, and Chelsea, I just think it's a... Chelsea, I mean, it's a classic. You can't not like Chelsea. Who else? QPR, another mate of mine, loves that team. And I'm a big supporter of them because they need it. So you look at those saying you're not a football fan. You've got all the knowledge there. I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love everyone. Yeah. Well, they're obviously fans of um, QPR, Fulham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United. Man United, he was a surprising one. <laughs> Brave to say that right now. Yeah, uh, uh, Joe, Joe seems to have a good time doing that. I think. Did you see that? Yes, I think there's a future in it yeah. for him. I think there is. I think that's but, his yeah. next step. Isn't if he it? doesn't want to do the refereeing, 
then interviewing might well be his game. Yes. Yeah, yeah, we can send you out a few yes. more times, I think. And that, that was streaming live on our YouTube platform as well. And I thought he looked very smart and handsome. Very no, did. He did, yes. Yeah. He didn't have a referee's outfit on. I no, he didn't. Maybe, you should, maybe it would have been a better feature had he been sitting there in his full refereeing kit. Yes. And then when Michael Fassbender was asked about Liverpool and he didn't really answer it correctly, he could have given him a red card. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Manchester United's ranks could be depleted heading into Sunday's Premier League game against leaders Liverpool. Eric Ten Hag without the services of Bruno Fernandes. The midfielder picked up his fifth booking in the game against Bournemouth. He's got to serve a suspension as a result. Martial Rashford missed the midweek game because of illness. Um, and the defensive pair of Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire had to hobble off during that first half against Bayern Munich, which which means that there is a bit of doubt about their availability from the weekend. We're not going to hear from Eric Ten Hag until 1.30 this afternoon. Rafael Varane did come back for that game. Lindelof trained in the build-up to it. Lissandro Martinez and Casemiro are getting there. Ahmad training again. But there's still no Mason Mount or Christian Eriksen. Malassi is not due back to 2024. How are they going to shape up against Liverpool? Well, I mean, the thing is, I had a good look at them last week and to see how they're trying to play out from the back. And they are definitely trying to play out from the back. Um, what they do is the two centre-halves, they, they split the edge of the box, which last week was Luke Shaw. Reguilon was left-back, Dalo was right-back. I don't agree, actually, with Luke Shaw playing as a central defender. For me, that's almost an embarrassment, particularly with Varane sitting on the bench as he was against Bournemouth last weekend. And if they try and play out from the back in the manner which they did last week, then... Only one way. There's only one winner. Liverpool, we know, are fantastic at pressing. I mean, not quite as prolific as the Mane days, but nonetheless, they'll win that ball back. Um, and then what they tried to do last week, they play the, they play out from the back, so they they get this shape. It comes back to the keeper. Amrabat gets it. He comes running down in midfield. He's really got nowhere to go because he's never on the half turn. He's always with his back to play, and it ends up going back to the keeper. And then the keeper has to hit it long. And actually, when they're more direct, then you can see that there there is there's a little bit of pattern of play. But I f the thing that troubles me most is when the likes of Anthony gets the ball um, or Canacho, who's not a bad player, their last thing is thinking about passing the ball. So you see Man City and Arsenal with all these triangular passes and movements and patterns of movement, and it's quite magnificent, and they get these openings. With Manchester United, it's just a case of Anthony runs with the ball, and when he's not got enough, he only passes it when he can't do anything with it himself. It's like a last resort to give it to someone. He always dumps it on someone else so it's it, and these flowing movements are not really apparent and this is where you look at the manager and you think okay what's he doing on the training ground with this group so is it his fault or is it them not taking personal responsibility or implementing his plan properly because you sort of started suggesting that they do have a plan there is a plan but then the but thing is are they not executing it, become, it properly no but it becomes very it becomes very predictable and it becomes very nervy because uh, Bournemouth are really clever because what they don't do is completely go and engage they let the central defenders have the ball and then there's a nervousness that cr is created and it goes back to the goalkeeper who hits the long ball it took 11 minutes before they could play through midfield against Bournemouth now what Bournemouth did from the kickoff which was really interesting Bournemouth kicked the ball out for a goal kick and said okay let's see you play out from the back because we don't think you're capable of doing it and Manchester United weren't we were nearly 15 minutes into the game before they could actually build anything well how, so, how has it got to that situation that uh, you know after nearly what 18 months in charge now for Eric Ten Hag that they're in a situation where uh, we've mentioned that they've had injuries not as many injuries for that game as they've got for this upcoming game why are they in a situation where they're 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 so vulnerable to even a team with all due respect like Bournemouth who have struggled in the early part of the season have got much better recently but shouldn't be a team that should cause them too many problems at Old Trafford they've never won there before 
No, but I, I'm looking. So let, let's say Luke Shaw. We know he's one of our top international players. Now, it looked at the start of the game, he was completely uncertain of what he was doing. He had two very loose passes. Go and put it back on and watch it yourself. He's, he's, and then for the goal, the first goal, he doesn't shut the door in their post. Like he doesn't know where to be. So then I look at that and think, well, okay, if I'm the manager, am I giving them the right information? Have they got the right messages? Well, do you think he's giving them the right information? Well, it seemed to me that uh, if you're playing in midfield for Manchester United, where Amrabat was, it was very lonely because McTominay was quite high. He was the only one who offered any assistance. Fernandez stays too high. He's got to be involved in the build-up at times. One of the things that I've had a problem with all season, and tell me if you think I'm wrong here, is the configuration of the midfield. The midfield, to me, seems to be so imbalanced. They only ever really play with one holding midfield player. They then play with like, almost like a progressive eight who plays slightly to one side mm. of the, the the sitter. And then further up the field, you have Fernandez, or at one stage you had maybe Mount or whatever. But you always, they almost play in a sort of... It's like a ladder. I think line. It's, yeah, I know what you mean. Ra- but like rather, a- than, rather than playing with... And that, that, that creates so much space to play around for the, op- for the opponents. They will always dominate midfield. And Mayfield looks massive if you're yes, a Manchester United player. If you're a Villa player now, the way that their back line push up to, to sort of condense the space, it's, it's like, I wouldn't mind playing in there myself. Yeah. You know, but when you look at your Manchester United player, it seems that open space is everywhere. So much open space. But, but why, I, why is that? Well, why I, would but, he be trying to well, do that? Well, I don't that? think the wide players, I mean, the wide players for Villa, for instance, they end up in, in front of the two midfield players. So they, 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 they get like a box of four. The Manchester United midfield players, uh, wingers, just stay as wingers. They only play when we play them the ball. They're not, they're not active. They're not helping enough. So it seems to me so, so many individuals for Manchester United. And then they sign a striker, Haaland, who has not, Hoyland. Yet, Hoyland, has not yet scored in the Premier League, which is, is a massive mystery. It's been an f- absolute fortune for him. Whereas back in the day, Manchester United just used to go and buy best in class. And of course now, they're having, that's not happening. And the calibre of the player... Uh, it seems to be slipping away. Massive amount of injuries, we know that. But then it comes down to working with the team, doesn't it? And getting those patterns of play together. And I don't see that when I watch Manchester United. They're relying on uh, a brilliant ball into the into the box. They're at their best, actually, when the full-backs get high and wide and then the, and then the inverted wingers come inside and try and feed crosses or find Fernandez edge of box. He's not available. Do you think the wingers are a little bit too predictable, Anthony in particular? I think the whole team's very predictable. Um, and I think it, it, even from that kickoff, and that's why Bournemouth did it. They were very clever. They sat quite withdrawn, and they said they blocked off the, the flanks to get to the fullbacks. And they said, right, okay, try and play through the middle. And they weren't capable of doing it. Mm. This could be three defeats in a week for Manchester United, and we keep looking at it, keep examining it. Um, and the manager seems to be uh, safe in his role. Uh, last weekend, they were handing out Player of the Year, sorry, Player of the Month awards, uh, and Manager of the Month awards. We know they've had, what's that, four in six wins in the Premier League, but every now and again, it's not really convincing. Now, if they play like they did against Chelsea, where they won that game 2-1, and I watched that game as well this week, I actually thought that was pretty decent, the way they played against Chelsea. Yeah, they were fine against Chelsea. It was remarkable, really, because, I mean, Chelsea were poor in the game, but I thought it it was probably Manchester United's best performance. Well, the mistake they made, Chelsea, was they tried to. terrible. Chelsea tried to press them really high, and they popped it out and beat the press, and then they were out and away. It's when you, with Bournemouth, they said, right, they sat and looked at them. They sat deep and said, right, you play. And the pressure, they couldn't deal and with And what we're talking about with that midfield is if you actually, if, if someone is trying to press you and you beat that press, then because of the fact they play the midfield that they do, there's more numbers on the other side of the ball, so therefore they have those opportunities. So in that circumstance, it works. But the adaptation to that, the when, when you're not being pressed from the front, then you, you lose out in terms yeah, of... Yeah, and the foot value. of the midfield needs help. 
Yeah. So, you know, and, and when you've got McTominay running away, now he's getting, getting headlines for scoring goals. He doesn't really want to come and help. He did help occasionally, but not enough. They had a bad day, though. He had a bad day, didn't he? I mean, he kept bop it, popping off him, didn't he? he? He just wasn't at his full tilt because he couldn't. He kept giving the ball away. Well, credit to Bournemouth as well, though, uh, the way that they played. Absolutely. But their game plan was what won them the game. And that's where, where's the game plan then? For, for Ten Hag this weekend. How does he come out of Anfield with a result? Because I think well, he needs one. Well, how can you come out? How does anyone come out of Anfield with a well, result? I, they, they, they never lose there for a start and they always score. So well, you're in forget, big trouble from the I start. I would um, maybe forget to... I, I wouldn't bother passing it out from the back because that negates 50% of Liverpool's game. I think what you've got to do is try and hit the ball long to their striker and play from there. Because it, 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 they they're not really capable and they certainly wouldn't be able to do that in that cauldron of atmosphere that you have at Anfield trying to pass out through there I may be wrong this may be the turning point for Manchester United but I think it's a case of them desperately need to get a result tomorrow Mo Salah's got an excellent recent scoring record against Manchester United 11 goals in his last 6 games against them if you go back over the last uh, few years they've played the last five, 4 games they've played against them 3 of them have ended up in Liverpool victories I think it's 4-0 5-0 and 7-0 wow yeah, I mean, two great it's clubs. Liverpool, Manchester United. I know, two great clubs. If you look what they've won, the number of trophies between the two clubs, it's quite, it's quite remarkable. But, you know, which team now is re-emerging? Obviously, last year, Klopp takes a year out. He's refurnished this team. It's a completely new midfield. Uh, there's only Salah in the front line from what we remember in the past, and they're now starting at the top of the table. They're, look, they're starting to look I really like, like the look of them, and I like the look of I spoke to Jurgen Klopp about this really early in the season, and he said to him, you know, what what's your sort of... What's your journey look like this season? Where are you aiming? And he said, I'm not thinking about anything yet because I haven't worked out how good they are myself. But what's good is that we keep winning even when we're not perfect. There's, but there's I thought, didn't you think last weekend there's substitutions Klopp made? Really? Brilliant. Yeah. Well, shows, so yeah. Harvey Elliott coming off. I actually think that was his assistant. But also, I think the... Um the two yellow cards for IU obviously well of course that changed it but nonetheless well. he's kind of like when he's got it he's, he's got his hands on it and he feels the pulse of the team and you feel at the moment he's with the team he's growing with the team it's you know things, special things can happen so they're right in the mix there Liverpool. I, I just felt when I spoke to him early in the season there was a little glint in his eye and I thought he thinks he's got something here because they, they, they've all got the right mentality as well. And they, you know, we've talked about it many times on this programme. The amount of times they've come back from deficits to win games. 18 points from losing positions is quite a substantial margin before you've got to Christmas. It can't keep happening, though. It's, it shows great spirit it shows and, great and unity when it, when it happens. And you think, oh, this may be our year. But ideally, you don't want to do that. You want to control games and win games the way you want to. Mm. McAllister, I think, has got a, a nasty injury uh, to his knee. Uh, so that he's out for a little while. And, you know, Nunes has to start... Put, being the predator you know that touch has to be clean he needs to be you know put in the back of the net more often than he is I mean when you can if you finesse that and that starts to grow he goes on a run of scoring goals then of course they re really are in the mix okay uh, let's um, should we hear from uh, we're going to hear from someone about this uh, Paul Ince who's been speaking about the Manchester United squad because he's got a feeling that one one of the reasons that they've had so many problems over the course of the last few years is that some of the current squad that represent Manchester United cannot deal with the expectation levels of playing for a club that size. Times have changed, the game's changed, generations have changed. You know, we talk about characters and leaders. You haven't got them no more. When you're talking about the Kings and the Robsons and Mark Hughes and people like that, you don't see it anymore. And to, to play for Manchester United, you have to be a certain player. Yep. You have to, have to deal with the standards of... The club, what it what it entails, the, the greatness of it, the fans' expectation, week in, week out. Not just one game, two games, three games, but every game you've got to perform. You've got to perform in training. You know, there's a lot that goes with being that. And, and some of these players, I don't think, can deal with the pressures of playing for Manchester United. 
Not to say they're not good players, but are they Manchester United players? And that's the, that's the issue now for me. Do you recognise that as someone who's played in these hostile environments and in these huge, massive games? I do. I, it's interesting listening to Paul Ince talk, who I have a great deal of respect for. And it's, it's um, you know, Sir Alec Ferguson in those days would just drive everybody on, wouldn't he? You know, make them winners. You know, if you weren't... The calibre of his purchases, you know, they had Ince and Keane in midfield, didn't they? And then, of course, I remember the year we beat them in 97, 98. They went and got Dwight York and Yap Stam, you know, best in class. And I think it helps when you bring the, the big players in, but then it's the expectations of the club and you of the group, you kind of learn it. You know, I learned it at Arsenal as a kid and then you pass it on to the next generation and the current generation you're working with. And then they're intoxicated with that feeling of winning and eating, drinking, sleeping football, do you know? But it's us against the rest. Um, Manchester United lost its way a little bit now. Um, we thought they were on their bright path with Ten Hag. Uh, but yeah, it comes down to the players. Can they handle the situations? I mean, a lot of people have been cynically people looking at Fernandez. Was he conveniently getting booked last weekend to be out of the... You know, out of the pressure cooker of Wait, this, who, game, who said this game. That? I haven't heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. Have you? Or did you yeah. just say it? No, I didn't say that. If you look across uh, social media, you'll see that people are suggesting that maybe he deliberately gets booked. Media. He deliberately gets booked for for dissent when there's nothing else in the game. They're three 0 down, so that seems a bit strange, you know. Uh, and he's 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 going to be missed this weekend because if they're going to win a game, well, then maybe it might be better without him. But yeah, you you need the right characters. You need the right leaders. I'm not sure Fernandez is a leader. Maybe that's the, the crux of the problem. And then everybody else follows within the group. But it comes from the manager, mm. first of all. He he gets play, he makes players leaders. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts from. Jim will be back on Monday to bring you the best of the show.